Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, June 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new report from the auditor's office reveals higher graduation rates may be inflated and how the Mississippi Department of Education is preparing for the start of the next school year. Plus, after years of effort from faculty and students, a Confederate monument at the University of Mississippi is being relocated. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Department of Education is inflating its progress in the state's graduation rate and has failed to continue a dropout prevention office for the last 10 years as required by state law. That's all according to findings recently released by the state auditor's office. In 2006, lawmakers passed legislation requiring the Mississippi Department of Education to create a dropout prevention office. The purpose was to provide resources to help local school districts increase their graduation rate, thereby improving the rate for the entire state. But as State Auditor Shad White tells our Ashley Norwood, the existence of the Dropout Prevention Office did not last, and the department's progress was made in part by changing how it calculates the graduation rate. To give you a little bit of background, in 2006, the legislature passed into law a law that said that the Department of Education was required to set up an office of dropout prevention. And the goal of that office was to provide resources and provide planning help to local school districts so that they could increase their graduation rates. And the overall goal was set by the legislature, and the legislature said that the graduation rate at that moment was about 61%. They wanted it to get up to about 85% by the 2018-2019 school year. Hmm. The place where the Mississippi Department of Education went wrong is sometime later, the Office of Dropout Prevention basically ceased to exist. It just sort of went away. So there was no director. Uh, when we interviewed staffers who were responsible for improving graduation rates in Mississippi, they seemed to be completely unaware of the state's strategic plan for increasing graduation rates. We found that a lot of the school districts who should have been receiving help uh, or should have been monitored to make sure that they had a good graduation rate plan in place were simply either not being helped or not being monitored. And so, in short, we found that this Office of Dropout Prevention was supposed to exist under the law, and it just didn't exist. So um, so then what's been the Department of Education's response or, or reasoning why the program just disappeared? 
Well, look, they're, they're going to say that they've rolled those responsibilities into other different divisions, and unfortunately, that's not what the law allows. The law requires there to be an office of dropout prevention with a director appointed by the state superintendent of education, and if that doesn't happen, they're in violation of the law. And we see the real practical effects of not having an office of dropout prevention, because when we looked and we tried to see how much help had been given to local school districts or whether MDE had monitored local school districts' graduation rate plans, what we found is you know, about 73% of the district-level plans that failed to meet requirements set by the Department of Education, about half of those school districts were not being monitored to make sure that they had good graduation rate plan increase uh, programs in place. So, you know, realistically, uh, the excuses don't overcome this one basic fact which is the law said MDE should do X, and they didn't do X. Gotcha. But th- so MDE, they did make that um, graduation rate that the legislature uh, wanted them to see, but there was a difference in the calculation. Um, can you talk about that? What was the change in sure. how, that over- how that overall impacted the graduation rates? Sure. So as I mentioned, in 2006, the legislature put in the law that the graduation rate should be increased from 61 percent to 85 percent by 2019. Sometime between 2006 and 2019, MDE came in and they changed the way they calculated the graduation rate. Uh, And by changing the way they calculated it, they gave themselves a boost of about 9.7 percentage points toward a higher graduation rate. And unfortunately for them, they also did not tell the legislature that they changed that method of calculation. So if you look back, we have, as a state, made good progress in our graduation rate. More students, a higher percentage of students are graduating today than they were back in 2006. And and a lot of credit uh, can be handed out for that to teachers and parents and and administrators and even some folks at MDE. But uh, part of that increase was simply due to a statistical change. It was due to the change in the way they calculated the graduation rate. And from my office's perspective, I thought it was important that the public know that. Now, we don't take a position on whether the old way of calculating was the best way or the new way of calculating the graduation rate was the best way. We simply take the position that folks need to know, taxpayers, parents, teachers, legislators, they need to know how we got here, how they came up with those numbers. So now moving forward, I guess, what happens next? Are are you advising MDE on on changes they need to make now? And what are those changes or advice? We make, it's a great question. We make several recommendations in our audit. Some of them are for MDE. Some of them are for the legislature. I think for MDE, the important thing is to begin complying with the law. So go back and look at that law that was passed in 2006. Make sure they set up an office of dropout prevention. Put the people into place to make that office function. Make sure that that office is doing the things it's required to do to help local school districts improve their own graduation rates. Those are the big recommendations that we have. And two, for the legislature, we think that the legislature may want to change their legislation, write a new bill that maybe changes the the goals that they had for graduation rates and may provide some more oversight into whether MDE is complying. The important thing to me here is that we need to send the message that no state agency is above the law. If the legislature says you shall do X and that gets signed into law, I have to comply with laws every single day as state auditor that they set out. MDE should have to comply with laws. 
just because no one should be above the law. And, and all of us, Mississippians, in our everyday lives, we all comply with these laws. We, we obey the speed limit. We send our kids to school if we have school, if we have kids. MDE has to do the same as an institution. It has a very important role in this state. That role is to help local school districts improve the education and the lives of children here in Mississippi. And, and if they don't comply with the law, they're not doing all they should be doing to achieve that goal. State Auditor Shad White, uh, unless you have anything else to add, I just want to thank you for your time with us today. No, you got it. Thanks so much, Ashley. In an official response to the auditor's report, MDE states the graduation rate in Mississippi is at an all-time high of 85%, up from 74.5% in 2014. The department also denies the use of inapplicable graduation rates when reporting to the State Board of Education, stating Mississippi's four-year adjusted cohort graduation rate is calculated each year in accordance with federal guidelines. Coming up, we look at how the Mississippi Department of Education is preparing for the start of the next school year. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Governor Tate Reeves' safe return order has Mississippi businesses reopen and is allowing vacationers to hit the state's beaches and casinos. But as the summer months wane into the fall, the looming question of school remains for many parents. Districts across the state are using the summer months to plan when and how students will resume instruction. State Superintendent of Education Dr. Carrie Wright joins us to explain the options districts had to consider and the guidance the Department of Education is providing. Districts may be working in a traditional schedule, meaning everybody comes back in and is physically present. If that's what they choose to do, there are others that are thinking about a hybrid model, which is some days children will be in school learning and other days they may be at home learning. And then uh, the virtual schedule, if if districts decide that they want to continue instruction through uh, distance learning. So they, the superintendents got together and um, used obviously their uh, expertise uh, in coming up with three months' worth of uh, things to consider. So June, July, and August in each of those areas, here are things things you need to be considering. And then they're going to produce another three months' worth of documents starting for September, um, October, and November. It would be up to each individual district the direction to go? Oh, yes, ma'am. That is a local decision, absolutely. Um, we There are expectations that the state sets. Uh, certainly, school's got to be in session for 180 days, um, and the board passed a number of waivers to give districts some flexibility. That is not one that they passed, uh, but we did right now in policy, a school day is 330 minutes, uh, and so we felt that that was not a reasonable expectation um, every single day. So we said that a day shall consist of no less than four hours. Um, there's seat time kinds of things that are waived, uh, but they've got to define then how they're going to uh, evaluate seat time for Carnegie units. So 
there's a lot of decisions that are made locally, and um, all we're trying to do is to provide them with the best guidance that we can and best practices. Dr. Ryan, I'll have to go through each of the three options. First, traditional. So kids go back to, kids, teacher, staff go back to the physical school building. There are challenges inherent with that. Uh, How are they getting there? Can you social distance on a school bus? Do you need more buses? Feeding the kids in the cafeteria, is there room to social distance uh, while kids are being fed? And then instruction in a classroom, Normally, kids are in there pretty tight. You can have so many kids. And it's always been a challenge in schools to keep class sizes at a smaller level. So how do districts address those challenges? Well, you have just listed all the things that they're having to work through. That's exactly right. Everything that you just listed. Um, How are we going to get them to school? Are we going to screen them daily? If you're talking about a traditional model, are we going to screen them daily when they come in in terms of temperature taking? Uh, Are they going to have to wear masks? Do we have a sufficient mask? We've told them that we they really should be um, adhering as closely as possible to CDC uh, and Mississippi State Department of Health guidelines and recommendations. Uh, they're now in buildings um, thinking about what does that look like. The hybrid option, which you described somewhat earlier, mm-hmm. is um, perhaps students come to school one day and the next day it's virtual, so you're, you're cutting down the number of students in school. But my question is, how can a teacher teach students in the classroom while simultaneously teaching kids virtually? Or distance learning. Well, that's the reason that we've been uh, pushing so hard for this statewide technology plan um, that we have developed and are working with the legislature to hopefully get funded, because it will basically be um, have students. We will have the ability, basically, for every student in the in the state to have his or her own um, device. A lot of teachers already, even with this past spring, videotaped their lessons and then um, put them on those learning management systems for children to watch. So it's just like watching the teacher teach, except you were at home. Okay, so you mentioned devices going out, which is great. But what about those rural areas that still don't have broadband coverage? Well, that's why they're going to be, these devices will be cellular enabled. You know, about 98% of, you know, um, I'm assuming if not 100% of people across the state of Mississippi have a cellular device. And so we're hoping if we can get them cellular enabled um, that the connectivity will be better. I do know that um, they're also looking at broadband and how to expand broadband into the rural areas of the state. So that's something that's all part of uh, the plan that we've been working on and working with the legislature on. You've answered so many questions, but I want to give you the final word to talk to the parents who are listening to address their concerns and the uncertainty about what's going to happen come August, the first or second week of August. Well, I think the one thing that we went over with the superintendents, and and I want to say um, the the first thing is making sure the communities are informed of exactly what's going to happen. I I can't say enough about communication. This is a time to over-communicate so that Parents know um, what to expect, uh, when to expect it. We've talked an awful lot about making sure that parents have the skills that they need to be working on these virtual platforms as well because a lot of parents has caught them flat-footed too, uh, and so they and parents will say, I, you know, this wasn't something I was familiar with. So the department is also planning on developing webinars for parents Um, on just how to use all of these various platforms um, once they are at home. And then 
also helping parents know, okay, if I need to go someplace to be more uh, Wi-Fi connected, where would those places be? I know one superintendent has developed a map of his district, and he has literally put marks on the X's on the district, giving that out to all his community to let them know this is where you can go to make sure that you could get connected to the Internet immediately. So it's those kinds of strategies that we put forward in a document um, that that's part of the document that we put forward uh, to the superintendents and talk with them about um, that yesterday. So we're trying to be as forward thinking as we can. Um, I know some parents, you know, are ready for them to go back day one and be in the building day one. And I've heard from parents that are saying, please don't put us back in on day one because we're still fearful about, you know, about our children getting sick. So that's why it's really important that the local decision makers really get a feel for what their communities are asking for and are comfortable with, and then making sure that you over-communicate um, to your community so that they're well aware of what to expect. Dr. Carrie Wright is the State Superintendent of Education. Dr. Wright, thank you very much. Some really good information. You're welcome. Anytime. Thank you. When we spoke to Dr. Wright, the state auditor had not yet released his report on the dropout prevention office and the state's graduation rates. In a statement released by MDE, Dr. Wright states, this audit completely ignores the progress made in performance by schools, districts, and students across Mississippi. She later continues, it is disheartening to read a report that focuses on outdated procedures that have not been effective. The State Board of Education Strategic Plan has modernized the state's approach to education, which has resulted in historic and sustained student achievement across Mississippi. The nation now considers Mississippi a leader in education because our students are making faster progress than nearly every other state. Coming up, after years of effort from faculty and students, a Confederate monument at the University of Mississippi is being relocated. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. A Confederate monument on the campus of the University of Mississippi is being relocated. Since 1906, the statue of a Confederate soldier has stood in prominence at the heart of campus. But years of growing resentment over the monument led to action by students and faculty to remove it. On Thursday, nearly a year and a half after a resolution from the school's associated student body, the Institutions of Higher Learning is approving the relocation of the statue to a Confederate cemetery. In a statement released by IHL, Dr. Alfred Rankins, Jr., Commissioner of Higher Education, says the Board of Trustees approved the request from the Chancellor of the University of Mississippi. He and his team devoted considerable time and attention to developing a thoughtful plan to relocate its Confederate monument to the University Cemetery. Joshua Mannery is the current president of the Associated Student Body at the University of Mississippi. He tells our Kobe Vance it's an honor to represent all of those who pushed for this change. So I've been telling people I've really had two um, two uh, primary feelings about everything that's happened. One is an overwhelming sense of relief um, and happiness at the fact that I was able to be present and to help lead this thing to its conclusion. Um, I don't. I don't. I won't even try to pretend like 
I played a significant part in this entire movement. In fact, it, it lasted longer than any one particular student leader. Um, but I was able to come around in the middle. I was able to vote on the Senate resolution that said we as a student body unanimously want this thing relocated. And then I was able to become ASB president a couple of years later and, you know, take a group of students up to the board meeting and, you know, be there when they finally relocated. And so I'm happy that I get to honor everybody and all the hard work that's come before me and be there to start planning for the future. Uh, and then the second, the second big feeling is this kind of sense of it being anticlimactic almost because this has been a year, 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 year long fight, um, campaign movement that has required a lot of tough conversations and hard battles and obstacles to overcome. And then when we, when we get to the day, not even just the day, the week of where they announce it kind of, they kind of leak it almost that it's going to happen. And then the day of they pass it in like 15 seconds because they did a consent agenda. Um, you know, I think, in, I think in a lot of our heads, we imagine this bombacious, you know, sentimental type, uh, intense discussion that led to a yes, but in reality, they, they were all pretty much on board. Um, but I say that jokingly, it's not like I'm criticizing them for voting a yes altogether or anything. Um, but I think we all imagine something a bit grander. Um, but, you know, we still have the statue actually being relocated or getting taken down to look forward to, so. What importance do you think this is going to have on the uh, the campus there? Um, why is it so important to move that statue? Yeah, because I think that uh, there are a lot of a lot of people who don't want to see this university um, distance itself from its history. They very much believe that we should honor where we've come from and all of that. And you know, they're not entirely wrong, but what they fail to realize is that. We don't have to glorify our history to recognize and acknowledge it. Um, and so I think we, what we've done this past decade, you know, with the flag and everything is, and really just since 2000, has been taking away symbols of the past, like physical symbols that people who like to glorify history can latch on to. Um, and so they latch on to those symbols that kind of, um, uphold white supremacy and systemic racism and uh, things like that. So like the flag, the statue, the fight song, Colonel Rail. And so I think this was the last, the last major symbol that we can get taken away besides, you know, pushing for changing like old Miss itself. Um, and so now I think with the statue being gone, we can really have the conversations about, okay, now what about the things that we as the university have control of? Because I think the statue has dominated a lot of conversations in the past um, when it comes to progress and change. So now we can finally look at things like representation and equity and um, normalized traditions and things like that, that we as a university can work to change. And so I'm just excited that, again, I get to be a part of those conversations from the, um, the get-go. It's just being relocated. Um, do you think that that's going to still cause problems in the future of it just, you know, moving from one location to the graveyard on camp or graveyard? I mean, I think in a perfect world, we wouldn't have a Confederate cemetery on campus. Um, definitely so close to student life. Like, sure, it's a, it's a little bit removed from like the circle, um, but the tab pad is like 
a 10-minute walk, you know. And so, you know, I, I think ultimately, like, this particular fight, even just about the statue isn't over, I imagine conversations from here would be um, about, like, how much investment we put into the cemetery itself. And so to where it, it's a cemetery, not a shrine, I imagine that conversations will begin to occur about do we even need a cemetery on campus in the first place? And is there somewhere else we can um, put it? You know, I can't speak too much about those conversations because I'm sure I'll be a part of them as they occur. Um, but I think that's the next step. I don't think anybody is looking at today and saying, okay, finally, the statue thing is over. But what we wanted the most was it taken away from the heart of our campus. And so we were able to achieve that part. And so now I think we have a little room to breathe before we take up any other issues. Joshua Mannery is the president of the University of Mississippi's Associated Student Body. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.